starts swinging. entry in our bonus track series uh, and we first have to direct people to our chat with David Wilde and David's chat with Don Was if they haven't heard it yet because this year is the 30th anniversary of Ringo Starr's Time Takes Time and it was David's suggestion that we discuss the record and what a discussion it was. So former Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers drummer Stan Lynch has a song on that Ringo album called Don't Know a Thing About Love and I dropped Stan an email to get his memories of how that song came together. And he just writes back and he says, call me. And this conversation is the result. And Jeff, I know that you heard this. I was floored because I, I thought it'd be helpful. I'm like, you know what? I'll send him a YouTube link to his song. Because uh, initially when he wrote back, he's like, I'm not sure what sort of memories I'll have. Which, as you and I have discussed, means that Stan Stan's going to then give me ninety minutes on whatever it is yes, that uh, I wrote him about. Exactly. So uh, I just kind of had that thought. I'm like, based on how he responded, maybe I should send him a YouTube link, uh, you know, just so it's front and center prior to us talking. So five minutes later, what happens is he sends an email back that says, "Here's the demo of the song. Uh, oh, by the way, that's Cheryl Crow before she became Cheryl Crow, sharing the vocals with me." And he put a note. He said. I apologize about my vocals and which sound great, by the way. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. It sounds yeah. phenomenal. So I had a lot of questions after listening to that demo. That demo gave me about 86 more questions. And so um, that's kind of where this conversation starts is, you know, me kind of asking me about me, me asking him about his like archive of demos and all that kind of stuff. So that's where this thing starts, but he has a bunch of stuff going on, uh, including a band called the speaker wars um, and a second album that is also done with the chefs, his project with Dan Baird. Um, I have to give credit, eternal credit always to Dan. Uh, Dan is the connecting, you know, we use this with David Wilde quite a bit during the chat with David. David, we call David like a zealot over and over Mm. throughout the interview. Um, Dan is also a rock and roll zealot that connects to so many different things. And so in this case, when he did this initial Chef's album um, with Stan, I talked to Dan about the record, and as we're wrapping up the conversation, I kind of tentatively threw it out there. I said, do you think Stan would talk? Because, um, you know, I don't know what your perception is, Jeff, but like Stan, like, you know, ever since he left the Heartbreakers, kind of like, you know, faded into the background and was just kind of this somewhat mysterious figure that like, how do you even get to Stan Lynch? Where is he? And Yeah, and had a rep as kind of a prickly sort of fellow for a long time, too. Yeah. So yeah. I asked the question, 
fully being prepared that, that <laughs> Dan probably was, you know, well prepared to tell people, anybody that would ask him, um, you know, Stan's not doing any sort of press for this. But instead, yeah. Dan goes, I think he'd probably talk. Let me ask him, you know. He's like, he's like, before I give you his info, let me check with him and, you know, see how he feels about it, see if it's, see if it's okay. So, uh, so he, you know, Dan being Dan, he writes back like five minutes later and says, man, he's all good. Here's his info, you know, have a great conversation. So we would be having none of these conversations had it not been for Dan Baird. So huge thanks to uh, Dan Baird. I know we mentioned this during the episode with David Wilde, but um, Georgia Satellites have a long, 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 long overdue official live release coming out uh, beginning of March called Lightning in a Bottle that was recorded um, here in Cleveland in 1988. Uh, Appropriate enough for Jeff Giles, uh, it was recorded on a super snowy night in Cleveland. (laughs) The weather was terrible. (laughs) Somehow, you don't say. Somehow, this sound like Cleveland and I. I know, I know. S- somehow the place was still packed to the rafters. And Dan's comment when I talked to him about that, I said, "Man, it's a snowy night. And you know how that can go." He's and, and I was just like, "People still came out." And Dan's comment straight away was, "Well, I don't think that was the first time you people in Cleveland had seen snow." <laughs> So there we go. But um, yeah, that is out on our on our pal Steve Popovich's label, Cleveland International Records. Um, so yeah, Georgia Satellites live in Cleveland. Uh, we'll throw a link in the show notes so you can find that information. But back to Stan. So Stan has also been playing on a couple of cool tribute records. We'll talk about all that and a whole lot of Ringo. And uh, I think if you're a fan of uh, of Ringo Starr and Stan Lynch and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you'll enjoy this conversation quite a lot. All right. I'm in an right. undisclosed location and safe. <laughs> <laughs> That's for the best, not only for you, but for the world. Uh, it's, I do this for the world. It's not for me. It's yeah. a check of charity. Man, are your, <laughs> are your archives in that good of a organiz, organizational shape that you can just pull out a demo like that? Are they that organized? <laughs> My middle initials are OCD. Nice. <laughs> like that really is probably on my birth certificate and i i would say unfortunately for me i haven't let go yeah i tried and there, there i can do it for like hours weeks sometimes i can put things in like a, you know i finally built my own storage locker so i can pretend it's not happening when i close the door but then two years later i have to go in there and de- deconstruct the whole freaking place and you know, it's like, I'm a nut. That's fantastic. Did you drive your parents, <laughs> did you drive your parents nuts or did they give this to you? Well, they, they decide, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you at, at about 15 or 16, they sort of abandoned me when they, cause they divorced. Yeah. And I was already playing with guys that were five years older than me. Mm. And I was playing in a titty bar when I, for my 16th birthday you know, faking notes from my father saying, this is fine. Stan's a great kid. He'll be do great here. <laughs> and uh, so I was, my sister says I was raised by wolves. So I don't, my, I, I made the effort to get to know my parents. I think when I was around 24, yeah. I came back to Florida and I knocked on my dad's door and I did not know where he lived because he had, when he left the house, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. He, he had a motorcycle. It was beautiful. He had a ponytail and he basically flipped us all off and said, fuck it. It's all yours. And that's wow. kind of what I remember. And then I just went like, well, screw it. I'm already, I'm already making 300 bucks a week. I'm already a big dog. I can, I'm at, you know, like I was, I thought I was already, you know, 
I don't know what I thought. I was an idiot. But it's it, it. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting life. I mean, everybody's is. But you know, mine was mine was weird. I'll give you that. I mean, it was it wasn't. Nobody else I knew was doing that. Well, as we dig into things, I want people to kind of know what you have going presently, which you know I've been excited about this for a long time. And it looks like uh, on deck at long last is a record uh, from the Speaker Wars, your thing with John Christopher Davis, um, that people are going to be able to hold in some form this year, it sounds like. Is that true? Well, I, we've, we've, I have declared – well, John's the guy. He's the business. I mean, look, there's the music business. And I made my declarations years ago that I like the music business. I, jeez, I don't give, you know, I'm done. I, I threw in the towel on that a few years right. ago. But John, John has decided that the Speaker Wars are actually an entity that he would like to figure out how to promote. And he's kind of working his way toward that. To that extent, we have both agreed on like probably 14 songs that or maybe more cool. that are kind of, kind of done. Like, screw it. They're, they're. They're COVID done, which is like not my perfect method. They're, you know, they're, they're quarantine band stuff, you know, where I have to do this and he has to do that. And it's like, eh, fuck it. But, you know, the days of thinking that like, oh yeah, man, we're going to get a budget and go in the studio and cut this shit. Like, ain't uh, you know, push pause on that. So I think, yes. And, and John is going to try to figure out a way to release. I, I look, my, my big delusion of grandeur is I'd like it heard. Sure. That's all. I would be fun if people heard it. Yeah. You know, like that's all. It's just because it's, you know, I have no delusions at, or or no need for it to do any more than that. But it's John is a little more excited. He'd like to get out and maybe play gigs. And in order to do that, you actually somebody has to have heard the music. One of the real earworms on this thing that people can hear like now um, is a tune that, you know, I love. It's called Never Ready to Go. And I was noticing oh, okay. that um, Andy Timmons is on that one. And he's a great guitar player. I love that you guys have him playing on that. Well, Andy Timmons is, does he he has declared himself an official member of Speaker Wars as of last week. Yes, nice. So he's like, you know, when we go to play and we're going to do more writing, I think he's fantastic. He's the guy I've been waiting. Like we did play some of that stuff kind of off the floor in a living room situation. I think Andy, um, we kind of cut that track live, you know, as live as Andy, me and John, you know, we, we there's overdubs on it for sure, but yeah, Tibbins. I mean, the minute he walked in the room and plugged in and played, he he understood. I'm a weird drummer. Like I I play like I'm slowing down, but I'm not. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, I know I'm on with the click because I can look at it and go, yeah, I'm on with the click. But I'm like, it, it, and the other guy plays it, and it sounds like it's speeding up to me. So I tend to. And Andy basically he just got that immediately. He threw shoulder down and went like, okay, I'm right with you. That's and cool. it was like. Yeah, I mean, it was, took him two seconds to figure out where I was coming from, which is like, you know, always wanting to be black. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like that was, you know, black drummers matter. That would have been, you know, like, that's me all the way. It's like, so Andy is like, man, I, I, you know, when he said the other day, he goes like, what are you guys working on? I go, we're waiting for you to join the band. He goes, I am in. Let's go. <laughs> he started sending demos. So it's, um, yeah, he's he's great. And if we do get to play live, what a jewel box of a talent to have around because he's you can actually turn him loose like if you want to write a song with a three-minute guitar solo it will be good yeah 
Yeah, Jeff and I are talking to Andy coming up, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him because I've seen him play live, um, and he's a guy that's been in my orbit for a long time, and I've never right. spoken with him, so I'm looking forward. Uh, as you probably know, he's got a new record coming out that's really, yes. really good, and um, oh yeah, so I'm looking forward to kind of digging into some music chatter with him. So that'll be cool. So he's a he's a lovely guy, and it's all about love, and it's all about kindness, and it's there's no negativity you can throw at him that he won't just go like. Well, I don't have any place for that. You know, yeah. it's it's really yeah. cool. It's really cool. I mean, so yeah, he's he's a he's a jewel of a dude, man. So you and I are talking because, um, as I mentioned, uh, Jeff and I had a long chat with David Wilde, who had just had a conversation with Don Was to talk about the. 30th anniversary of Ringo Starr's uh, Time Takes Time album. And it, that's cool because David profiled Ringo for Rolling Stone at the time that record came out. And of course, Don was involved on the record yeah. as well, producing four of the tracks. One of those tracks he produces is one of yours, um, Don't Know a Thing About Love, which you wrote with Richard Feldman. And so I kind of just wondered, you know, what sort of memories you have regarding writing that song? Richard Feldman, are you aware of him? I'm not. So I was going to ask you about that and how you guys met and all that kind of stuff. Richard Feldman is a killer musician from Tulsa. And he he kind of grew up in the shadow of uh, Shelter, Leon, J.J., oh, Clapton. Nice. Um, Jamie Oldecker was his running buddy when they were in bar bands together. And Jamie passed recently, but what a monster drummer. Yeah. I mean, and Richard Feldman is an embodiment of like jj kale's rhythm guitar playing so and he wrote he wrote a couple like he wrote a huge song for clapton called promises mm -hmm. um it's you know you don't love me and i don't love you or whatever it was i don't love you and you don't love me um you know that um we were i think i had just signed one of my earlier publishing deals or maybe my first and somebody at the publishing company said have you worked with richard feldman and I was like, no. Nah. And so we got together and he had, he was the first guy I knew that actually owned his own recording studio, like full on, like a beautiful 24 track, really. Do, and and it's just the funniest. He's a he's a brother from another mother for me. I mean, we, I walked in, I just I fell in love with the guy, you know, the minute I met him. And I think the first song we wrote ended up on a June Pointer record. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like, it was like, we just tried writing songs and we went like, I guess we're, you know, I didn't even particularly care for it. I won't say that I didn't think it was good. I just was like, because Richard understood the commercial market. That was Richard. He could tailor a song, you mm -hmm. know, he knew. And I think he got word, you know, but we, we wrote all the time. We, we were writing all the time. We were friends and I ended up moving him down the street and ride my bicycle to his house. And, um, it was so we were just buddies. So I went to his house one day and I think he might have said, like, you know, why don't we do a song in a style like um, that something like Ringo would want to do? I think I said, why? And he said, so I think that we might have a chance to pitch to something. I don't know how he knew that. That's that's Richard. Yeah. You nice. know, he's savvy. He was slick. He's a smart guy. He still is. And um, we sat down and, and um and just kind of just went after it. And I think we just, we probably wrote it in a day and probably demoed it the next day. You know, like we played everything on it and Richard plays the, you know, the slide and all the good stuff. And I'm playing the drums and the big acoustic guitars and probably a keyboard pad. And, you know, and, and I think I, we specifically, when he said Ringo, I thought, well, we'll write it 
so there's no stretch. You know, we don't need to, you know, I don't need to go like, la, 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 you know. I knew there was a range in the Ringo. Like in my mind, I was in the town where I was born. Yeah. There's a man, you know, so it was like, you can take a walk on the moon. Da, 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 da. I was deliberately tailoring a melody to, and Richard, you know, I'm not saying me, Richard and I both, like we, he was watching me every second and going, and I was, you know, and we, we tried to make it blood simple just because we thought it was like the, the, you know, the song was okay. We thought, well, this is a song worth writing, you know? And he was, Richard said, I know Cheryl, I know this background singer. Nice. And I think, I, I think I had met, met her maybe singing with Danley at the time. Maybe. Yeah. I wondered about that. I wondered if there was like a Don connection there. Okay. I don't think I'm the one who would have had the balls to even call anybody, you know, like I, yeah. I think Richard was like, I'm going to call Cheryl, this girl, Cheryl. And she came down and put, put cool parts, you know, and Rich, that's all Richard, you know, don't know a thing about, it. don't know a thing about Richard's like taking Cheryl through and Cheryl's probably taking Cheryl through it. Like, I think that was back in the days when you could sort of go like, what would you do? And nobody was offended. It's interesting to say you like, wouldn't have felt like calling anybody like was that just kind of where you were kind of emotionally you know because you're still I, at that point pretty fresh out of being out of the band i, I think right i don't i know i still was i was okay. still in i think i'm pretty sure that was okay this is before 94 right when did that record oh, that's come true. out yeah, yeah 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 correct it came out in 92 yeah my, yeah my excommunication wasn't till 94 that's right sorry about that yeah okay or something like that right i mean i mean i get it all confused too like which so you, century so you, you know? still were not even at that point you weren't like a pick up the phone and call somebody kind of guy necessarily oh hell no i'm i'm barely am now you wow. know it's like i mean it's no my situation is like you know well i wouldn't want to impose or what if they think i suck or i don't know you know so I mean, Richard's like, no, she's good. So that's all I heard was like, she's good. And then of course, Richard, you know, and she's cute. It's like, and all that's true. <laughs> you know, she's really good. And she's really cute. You know, like, what could you say? And she came in and she, she brought it, you know, I think, you know, it's like two beers later, it was done, you know? So I know that like, from what you said, like Richard had the, you know, Richard was the one that said, Hey man, I think I might have the ability to pitch this, you know, for a Ringo uh -huh. thing. But, um, did you know Don was at all? Like, was there any history there with you guys? I had seen was not was at the Roxy. Nice. That was, I think, I think that's what I knew about Don was. What an Walking underrated, the, you know, weird band. They were, they were great. Oh God. It was fucking unbelievable, man. They, Richard, Richard took me to that. That's right. Richard took me to was not was that's, that was, we were buds. And he said, maybe there's this great band, you know, walking the dinosaur. You got it. Got to dig it. And I heard the record and just, you know, poop my pants. I went, I love this. This, these guys are great. They're funny and they're smart. Their music's amazing. And so I went to the gig and maybe met him. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But uh -huh. it would have been one of those nights where like, hey, this is great. What a great night. I'm going home. And, um, I think I might've known what, what year did that record come out? What years does, or was the time takes time? Do you have the, yeah, it came out in 1992. I think we had mutual friends. Okay. That makes sense. I think Don was new. Or it probably, you know, or popped, you know, I, yeah, I'm sure we were running in somewhat of a circle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
because everywhere I want to heard his name, of course, you, you know, he was producing everything and was, you know, and he's still, you know, he's amazing. So it was like Don was, he was sort of like, Ooh, I, I'm, I get to hang out and see Don was. And then I think I got a call probably from Richard. He said, you know, we got, we can go down to the studio. You want to hear the tune. And that's when I actually kind of shook hands with Don was and probably actually met him. And had you met Ringo uh, at any point prior to that? Yes. Uh, you saying that record came out in 92? Correct. Yep. Yeah. I met Ringo at, on the Dylan tour, which I'm guessing in England would have been around 86, yep. 87. Yep. And, um, yeah. And I, it's, you know, it's a classic, you know, I was, we were playing with Dylan and Dylan goes to do his solo part of the show, you know, like blowing in the wind. He doesn't need a band obviously. And I happen to look over my shoulder and I see Ringo and Barbara box sitting on my flight case, oh, wow. which is like a, that's a beautiful moment in my life too. Yeah. And I figure, well, my, my, my oldest story in the world is I never want to meet people. I never want to meet my idols unless I have something to say, or they have any interest in meeting me. You know what I mean? It's like, there's nothing, you know, like, you know, then I walked up to, uh, and then I met so-and-so and what did they say? Who the fuck are you? You know? So yep. I figured, well, if Ringo's at the gig, I might have a reason to say hello. So if somebody walked over to me and said, Hey, you want to meet Ringo? If, Cause it's a drum, you know, every drummer. And as I walked up, I, realized I was like starting to get, you know, dry mouth and the whole bit. And, and I walked up and I, I mean, I, I don't know if you've, it's a classic moment in my life. I was trying to think, what, what do you say? You know? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. And what, what came out of my mouth was, I mean, I'm as God is my wisdom. I was trying to say something of the effect of, you know, gosh, you know, you're Ringo and I saw you on Ed Sullivan and it changed my life and blah, blah. But what came out of my mouth was, wow, Ringo, thank you for my haircut, my car, my house. Thank you for my, my pants. And, you know, I was like, literally like trying to, I try, I, it, 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 it was too big a deal. Like I couldn't, I realized that without Ringo, I probably, I don't know what, you know, what would my life have been? You know what I mean? Yeah. And what he, and um, I was stumbling through my haircut at that point I was going, and he's looking at me funny and he gave me this big hug and whispered in my ear. He goes, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's so great. Like we were talking about this with David. Like it's like Ringo's used to that. Like uh, yeah, I think oh, David, God. every 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 drummer, every drummer shits the bed. I every think David drummer. was the one that like just pointed out like how good that Ringo is like at making everybody in the room comfortable. Yeah, and um, right. you know, I had ch- a chance to witness that through yeah. Steve Lukather, who of course you know. Um, one of the last times that uh, Ringo was back through town here in Cleveland. <laughs> With the All Star Band, um, yeah, I, I was an invited guest of Steve's, as was Jimmy Fox from the James Gang, and so Jimmy and I know each other. So Jimmy, uh, myself, and my wife uh, go back to see you know Steve, and you know back there also is Joe Vitale from Joe Walsh's band, and there's sure. there's Greg Bissonette, you know. So you've already got three drummers, and we yeah. are only back there to see Steve. That is all that's been promised, and Steve says. Give me a second. He disappears. And as I told David, all of a sudden, Ringo pops around the corner in a very Ringo kind of way and um, just walks around the room, introducing himself to every single person and hugging each single person. It's like, that's so cool. You know, like that's like you don't expect that from Ringo Starr or anybody that's been a Beatle. You don't. But all roads lead to Ringo, man. I mean, there's nobody in our generation that can't go either this is the reason why my life changed or you go, 
wow, just the fact of what you did is is permanent tattoo till I die, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, I've seen him do it. I, I you know, I went, yeah, the All-Stars were in Jacks, and I went back, and Ringo has always been very kind to me, as he's kind to everybody. And he's kind to my girlfriend. He was, That's he cool. was, he, he, yeah, he's just kind. And he's like, literally, do you, I mean, he's making nasty jokes. Do you want some of my juice? You know, because he was having a juice. I'm like going, everyone wants a little taste of Ringo's juice. You know, it's like, but, you know, because he's, he really makes the effort to let you know that, look, I'm a dude and I get it and I'm a fan and I love my own band too, you know, and I got to play with it. That's right. He played, where were we? Maybe the All-Stars in Jacksonville where he called me up. I got to play on his kit. I played a little help from my friends with, on Ringo's drum set. Oh man, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, of course, Bissonette was my training wheels, but it was amazing for me, like, you know, to get introduced, you know, like, oh, he's, he's local. Stan, are you local? And I go, St. Augustine, a lot more local than Liverpool, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like he's, you know, no, great, you know, fuck. I mean, you know, it's it's like a dream, you know, like, I dreamt that Ringo called my name and I went and played drums on his drum set. You know, it's like, oh, no, wait, that happened. <laughs> Yeah, oh man. <laughs> you know, it's like those little moments in life where you go like, "What the?" F-? <laughs> and ring, ring any Beatle moment is is um you know you, you feel like an apex predator at that moment. You go, "No one can touch this story." You know, it's like this is good. You know, this is this is like it's a Wayne's World moment all the way. You know, one of the things that Don was told David during their conversation last week was he said Ringo plays like a guitar player. A really interesting observation as far as how he plays and interacts with people in the band, because Don said he's playing stuff that no one ever plays on the drums. He's playing melodically like a guitar player. I kind of wondered right. your perception as a drummer on Ringo. Oh, what what hasn't been said? I mean, mm. yeah, I mean, um, my first perceptions of Ringo as a drummer is he he he's writing the 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 template for the song i mean the song is just a demo without ringo it's like it's just a demo it's like yeah it's just another oh that's a nice song and then ringo makes it famous you know ringo it's like what he etches into that chart you know just it by intuition i truly believe and after watching six hours of him learning parts his his first impressions are 99 percent formed you know it's like just his impression it's like drumming for ringo must be walking mm-hmm. it must be as fun for him and because he does it just i won't say effortlessly because it's a tremendous effort to playing the drums a pain in the ass and he's also got remarkable meter it's like it's just gorgeous and he can play slow he can play like lyrically and he can play just it's my impression of Ringo on the drums is like yeah that's Mount Rushmore that's 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 as important in drumming as anything will ever be in drumming I mean that's those are I mean those business done whole clinics you know showing Ringo's parts you know like you know, he'll take, you know, it's like music minus one. There'll be the Beatle chart without the drums. And then like, you know, it's like, how did he come up with in my life? How did he mm. come up with come together? You know, how do how do you do these parts, you know, and help? Like and the, the weirdest parts, like, you know, you listen to Ringo and you go, who does that? And you go like Ringo, 
<laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, and the sound, and that's all him. I mean, Ringo would sound like that playing on cigar boxes. For sure. You know, he doesn't need, I mean, it's nice that he has his Ringo drum sets and he's, you know, Jeff Jonas is amazing. That's his drum check for a thousand years. And he was mine too. So I was very fortunate that Jeff took me on early as a client because I got a little, uh, I, I didn't know I was getting it, but I got treated to a lot of knowledge. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, you know, Jonas is work, doing Ringo's and then he comes over and works on my kid. He doesn't say, this is the way Ringo does it. Just all of a sudden I go, wow, Tom Tom sounds pretty damn good. <laughs> it's like, thank you. That's helpful, you know? So you get, we're all, God, we're all just redheaded stepchildren of the stuff we love, you know? That's all we're ever going to be, you know? Did, so. Did you watch the Beatles documentary? Oh God, twice. How cool is it how Ringo just like centers the band emotionally just with his presence like that? Oh, he's the coolest guy he can hang. Yeah. He's like that old story of like, you know, can you hang? Well, he can hang. And when Ringo hangs, the Beatles are cool. You know, like when Ringo's just hanging, just being, just being cool, just like, just, you know, having a ciggy, you know, and a little glass of wine and just being never, never like being angry or forceful, you know, and he's on his way to becoming a famous actor that week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <Yep>. it's like, <laughs> you know, oh, and by the way, you know, he's like, you know, he's on his way. He's on his way. You know, it's like so I, I just and they're boys. They're boys still like that's the part as a grown ass man. I'm looking at these guys. How the fuck did they handle that kind of shit? Oh my you know, God. I, right. It, I thought I was in a whirlpool, you know, in 1980, you know, I thought, Oh man, you know, we sold 3 million records this year. And Oh my God, you know, I'm so fucking, this is unbelievable. You know, how am I going to handle this pressure? It's too much. People are calling. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. That's like probably Monday noon for Ringo. You know what I mean? Yeah, those like, guys, I mean, just one element of the pressure, like they had so much pressure that they hit a point where they're like, you know what? We can't play live anymore. We can't take what yeah. that means, you know? We can't even, and then, and you see Paul just saying like, but that's what we are. We are a real band. Yeah. And it's like, he's fighting like hell and, and being misinterpreted as being dominant. And he's, and he is amazing, but he's, he's doing a last ditch effort. Do you want to play? If you, we, you want to play the Beatles? You want to be the Beatles? You know, he's like, you, that's what I saw. Like, anybody want to still do it? He's, and we got to do it right. And you know, we got to do it good. And they're like, oh fuck you, Paul. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, but God blessed him. I mean, you can see what an extraordinary group of gentlemen, man. That's all I kept. I took away from the whole thing. Like, God damn, they actually really loved each other. Going back to your song with Ringo, Don't Know a Thing About Love, that's on the Time Takes Time record, I found it so interesting listening to the demo for that song because, as you said, like, you know, you 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 guys really tailored it to be a Ringo song. But then when you listen to the version on the record, like, he Ringoizes it um, and just takes it in a different direction. Like, so I... What, how I wondered what you thought, like listening to the song that came out of what you guys gave them. It's really interesting. Well, it's funny. Right before he pushed play, I remember um, Don had sit down. Let me give you. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did your song. It's going on the record. You know, because just that's a big deal. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. getting a getting a song heard 
is a big deal. Getting your song in contention is a big deal. Getting your song cut is a huge deal. Then getting it on the record is, I mean, you know, it, it is, I've had this experience so many times, like so-and-so cut your song. Oh, fantastic. It didn't make the record. So-and-so, you know, it's like, you know what I mean? Sure. It's, um, or it's on hold for so-and-so it's like, Oh, great. Well, you know, and I've also seen guys go out and buy cars when their songs are put on hold and all need to be totally embarrassed when they're, when it didn't make the record. So I don't take a whole lot of stock in it until I'm sitting there with Don was. And he goes, Hey, your song's on the record. You want to hear it? And I'm like, well, fuck yeah. And right as he pushed play, he leaned over to me and he said, it's going to be different than your demo. I hope you're okay with it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I, and he, and I, I just heard it and I just went, you know, all I heard was Ringo singing my song, our song, you know, that's all I heard, you know? So I was just, holy shit. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, part of me was vaguely confused because, you, you know, I, I only knew the song one way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So for a minute, I was kind of like, oh, I thought it went, you know, but <laughs> I'd, I'd written enough songs and had enough cuts by then to go. Shit, I, I, I wrote it as a waltz and now it's in four, four or vice versa. And it was for a girl and now it's been changed. All the she has been changed to he. And you know what I mean? It's like I'd seen. I'd been to the show a few times, so just the fact that it was a pinch me moment. I'm in a fucking recording studio with Don was and Ringo singing my song. How do you think I felt? You know, it's but, it's that's a cool thing from Don though, because like <laughs> you know, I think that he, you know, you you everybody realizes that like if I can get a, a song on a Ringo record, that's enough. But at the same point, as a producer and perhaps as a fellow songwriter, Don it seems like recognized in some form what it can mean when somebody screws with your song. And he respected that. And he was like, Hey man, I just want to let you know, we did some stuff to your song. Hope it's okay. That's really cool. Well, what I heard, because I think I had had, I'd produced some Henley stuff by then and a few other projects. What I heard him saying was, uh, the subtext was I read the room. Mm. I know what my artist will do and is capable of. And this is what my artist felt moving forward with about this song and how it felt like it should go for him. And, um, and I think that, you know, cause the producer's job is to make the artist want to record. Like if Don was, sure. didn't want to do that song, he could have killed it. Oh, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, he could have just gone, you know, Ringo, I'm just not feeling it. You know, we got to do it. Then Ringo would just, and the buzz is gone. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, so my take is I probably should have sent Don was flowers. <laughs> yep. You know, and I didn't, which is my short sightedness. I just went home and probably thumped my own chest and went, it was a personal victory. You know, I mean, look at me and not realizing what he had done for me. And now that I'm even sitting here talking this, I'm like, man, if there's ever a way to reach out to Don, I just let him know I forgot to send flowers and a box of chocolates, you know, because I really screwed that up. I think we can help you connect those dots. So, yeah, because that's what I'm really trying to say is as a grown man, I'm going, holy shit, you know, like, yeah, because I could I can do that to Don. I mean, I know some songs would come in from Mike Campbell and I would go to the wall for them. 
because they were great. You know, I knew they were great. And Don's like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not feeling, I'm not, I'm having seconds second guesses on this one. And I'd be like, no, man, this is fucking great. You know, but all it would have taken is like, yeah, you know, fuck that shit. You know, cause <laughs> yep. every song, I mean, I've had a million writers go, is this any good? I'm like, it's good when we make it good. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, if you can say, if row, 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 your boat can be good. I mean, we can make this good. You know, everything is sucks until we prove it otherwise, you know? Yeah. So Don took a simple, simple song and he produced it and made his artist want to sing it and made and, and, and has allowed, allowed his artist to want to put it on the record. So he did his job. I mean, man, you know, I mean like, wow. And that's hard. It's hard when you're, producing an act of that much uh, they know themselves so well you know what i mean yeah like ringo knows what should be on his record he doesn't really need to be told you know it's like a matter of fact he'd probably be like why are you telling me i mean did you you know what's my name you know it's like so it's sort of uh yeah i mean that's gratitude for any producer who can and I gather him and Ringo are still friends, which usually never happens when you produce a record. Which is so cool. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Well, final things here, man. Um, I wanted to just ask, the other thing besides Speaker Wars that you know folks will be aware of is the stuff you've been doing with The Chefs, with Dan Baird. And I know yes. that there's a second record there. So what's kind of the latest, greatest on that? It's, uh, it's called Sing for Your Supper. Excellent. And Dan Baird, Dan Baird's back at the mic. And he sounds like the the classic auctioneer that he always is, <laughs> and he just sounds amazing. And the songs are really good. And it's um, we've we've gone public with the Secret Chef with Joe Blanton. Yep. We are three chefs now. Joe's and it's, a um, it's oh god, it's all done. I mean, the record's done, and it's really good. I mean, the Speaker Wars and the Chefs records are essentially done. Yeah. The, the Speaker Wars haven't done an assembly. The Chefs already has an assembly. You know what I mean? And we already know. Yep tracks one through 11 or whatever they are. You know what I mean? We know how it's going to roll and I'm really proud of it. It's like, it's a great, it's a rock and roll blood and guts. And I played all, I play keyboards on this record, which I rarely oh, cool. get to do. Yeah. So I got to, I got to really dig deep and um, you know, they let me spend all the time I needed to do B3 and piano parts. And because I know and love Ben Montage, all I had to do was if I'm anywhere in his freaking neighborhood, I'm close, you know, uh, like, yeah. I mean, I can't do, uh, nobody's going to play like Ben Montage, but having heard him for so many years, at least I knew when I was like, even in the area code, you know? Yeah. So it's like, that was fun. So I was really, I, I really got to stretch this year. I mean, it was a year's work. Like each song for me is weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, learning to play and crafting sounds and, and making them so they kind of disappear and just turn into the jelly, you know, it's like, it's fun for me, man. And um, it's got some good drums. It's got great guitar playing, great singing. So what else do you have cooking that you want folks to know about? A couple, a uh, couple tribute songs I did. I did a Todd oh, yeah. Rundgren tribute, you know, that was kind of fun. Stuff. That's so cool. Yeah, we got, I got a call from people I never met. Um, I've never met and still haven't met them. It was all as a quarantine gig. I started with a drum track of a song that they told me they wanted a song. So I charted it and played it. And then they all did their overdubs. It's pretty good. It's pretty cool. I mean, I don't like, I don't like making records this way, but it seems like that's how you're going to make them. You know, did you, you want to make that, old, did you have that something, anything record back in the day? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Nice. 
Oh yeah. I mean, you know, Todd was like, you know, for the petty guys too, we all, we, well, we went and saw Todd at the Gainesville auditorium because he was, he was playing with a, with a four track tape machine. Did Holy you ever shit. see that tour? No, I didn't see that. That's fantastic. Yeah. He just walked out with a four track tape machine. <laughs> it's like, fuck bands. You know what I mean? It's like, who can deal with that? So if and he, he could have just toured with like a four track and then an eight track and then a 16 track, he would have kept that going through the years. Like you said, I'm fuck pr- bands. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was like a four track and it was extraordinary to watch. Cause you could, it was so out in front of, you know, I was probably 16. Yeah. Or, you know, and it was like, I didn't even know what I was seeing. All I knew is this guy's much better than I'll ever be. That's my, the thought that occurred to me. I'm looking at probably this 20 year old, 21 year old guy. And I'm thinking, Whatever he's doing, it's a lot better than what we're doing. You know, his discipline. Like, how do you play in time? <laughs> you know, we didn't even think of that. We we were just adrenaline. That must have been a great show because I, I was on fire. I burned, you know? Yep. And it occurred to me, you actually got to be a good musician. You know, that happened so much later. But, yeah, Todd was a big deal for all the guys in the, old, in the Heartbreakers. It was like, yeah, Todd was something else, man. He was... And he's cool looking and he's, he sang and he wrote great songs and his shit rocked and it was pretty cool, man. He played drums. I loved, I loved Runt and I loved Naz. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, like Kitty Boy and mm-hmm. all that, you know, I mean, all that's, we, we, you know, broke down man with a busted heart. Are you familiar with that? I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we used to play that in a bar and it was like, damn, I mean, that's, that's killer, man. That, that just. His vibe, I mean, Broke Down Man with a Busted Heart kind of was what I thought I was trying to do in Breakdown a little bit, too. Like, I was trying to create that. It's like, it never quite came out that way, but it was like, that stuff had a big, big imprint on me. You know, he Todd was, does some big shoes, man. Digging him was fun. And then I know you have a cut. The other thing you had mentioned to me previously was a, a bad finger thing. What's the bad finger tune you did? We did, I did two versions. Oh, cool. Um, it's, it's no matter what. And John did a more of an American, the, the speaker wars mm-hmm. did a America. He did a very Americana version and it's good. It's a little, um, it's good. It's correct. And it's like, you know, we play, we both played on it. We, you know, sang and played and, and it was John's vision as he calls it black coffee. You know what I mean? Yeah. John likes that's John. He's very, um, and I, on the other hand, went and met with a bunch of people, uh, who's singing Bengali and they're, they're, uh, Indian, mm. you know, they're, and, uh, I sent the, I sent the chart. I, I wrote, I, you know, I played acoustic guitar and sent it to India to a guy named Rashish, who's a sitar and tabla player. And, um, what I got back was kind of mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Like they had, you know, cause sitar was in C sharp. So they changed everything musically around and it was like what then i got this girl susmita who's a kind of a big deal indian singer she's very good and she yeah. sings and so i got her to sing the bridges you know the knock down the old gray walls and i got her singing bengali on one and i did a whole uh it's a freak out and i got john to sing it which he confused the shit out of him but it was great it's fun <laughs> so we got two different versions one is mine just to have because I needed the entertainment value. So I went, I went to freaking India with it. I was in my mind, I was going like, what would the Beatles do with this? You know, yeah. 
because oh, cool, that Beatle man. connection with that it didn't quite come out that way because lost in translation you you send a tape halfway around the world and you what you get back is what you get back you know what I mean because you the language we were missing I couldn't even I my communication skills were pretty rough you know what I mean it was fun though Stan Lynch how cool was that that was that was a lot of fun um, we're working Jeff we're working towards officially getting him on the record player to discuss an album of some sort. And I would uh, love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll make that happen. I think, especially with uh, stuff that he has coming with speaker wars and whatnot. Um, one thing, one more thing I wanted to mention was uh, there's a stray mention as uh, Stan and I are talking about Don was um, Stan mentions going to see was not was. And I, I, I know that you appreciate this. And I said, I sort of said this when I was talking to Stan, but, didn't really get a chance to flesh it out the way I meant it. So I wanted to flesh it out here. And that just is that like, what a fascinating band was not was, was like they were, I, I think I call them during the chat with Stan, like a, a weird, uh, awesome band or an awesome, weird band or something like that. But that was just it. Like it's weird to say anything in the eighties was weird, but they were somehow a weird band for the time. And they were just fabulously and fantastically weird. And, you know, you hear that band and that band to me starts to unlock um, one part of a number of things that will help you understand, you know, who Don was is like what he did with what he did with was not was is just fascinating shit. So if you uh, if all you know is like walk the dinosaur or spy in the house repent, of love, repent you need to repent and go deeper. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> there are there's a treasure trove of strangeness there. Yeah, that I I I don't know how to describe the band any better than you did. They they were. Absolutely one of a kind. One of a kind. So something that could only come about in the 80s, and thank goodness that they did. It's on my list of life regrets that I never got to see was not was live. So that's why it was fun a little bit to channel just a little bit of that through Stan, talking to Stan. Um, but yeah, you know, at the very least, you can go and you can hear their records and you should you should dial up some was not was and add some was not was to your life. All right. Well, Record Player Pod, that's where we are on Twitter, recordplayerpodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe and find all of our episodes. And uh, we'll be back with uh, Jimmy Pardo. Jimmy Pardo joining us this coming week to talk about one more story about Peter Cetera. So stay tuned for that. And thanks for listening.